I'm here today with uh, Abbot Moses. You're from the Holy Resurrection Monastery up in Wisconsin. And the name of the town in Wisconsin? Is St. Nazian's. St. Nazian's. Tell us a little bit about the history of the town there. That was interesting. St. Um, Nazian's was um, settled in 1850 by a Catholic priest from uh, Bavaria hmm. um, in Germany. With the in and he brought about 115 people over with him to start a Catholic intentional community. And their inten intention was to live the Book of Acts, um, own everything in common, and really live a liturgical um, full prayer life. Um, they prayed the divine office together. They, you know, worked in common. Everything was done for the to build up the kingdom of God. Hmm. And uh, his religious background, you said, was what was she, the the founder of the town? He was a diocesan priest. Oh, it was okay. Yep. Wow. And that's a we were chatting about this earlier. I thought that it's a great history of America because oftentimes you think of it as the capitalism, which I guess is so, so strong, but also the religious freedom seekers, and you know, you're drawing you know, those two groups and more, I'm sure, but uh, there's a rich history there. There really is. Yeah. And you've been elected abbot of your community of about eight members, is that correct? Correct, yeah. yes. Okay. And tell us about your community, like its charism and work. Okay. Um, we are a Byzantine Catholic um, monastery, um, and our primary ca charism is a life of prayer mm -hmm. and liturgical prayer. We, we, as a community, pray the full cycle of the divine office in common every day, in addition to our own private um, prayer life. Um, our second It's chanted, the office? Yes, yeah, all chanted. Um, um, we come together eight times a day. To, uh, wow. to pray. Um, our secondary charism is hospitality. Mm. Um, we have a guest house where we welcome people to come and share our life um, f to whatever degree that they're able. You know, often people will just come and just do a private retreat. Um, we also do group retreats mm. and um, days of recollection and prayer, mm. that type of thing. So, can a group actually stay there? You have the yes, we have days. groups that come and, and, oh. and um, come for a few days, or oh. um, we often have uh, like bigger parish groups will come for the day, mm. um, share the divine liturgy with us, um, share a meal with us. The monks will often, you know, give a few talks, mm. um, present the opportunity for confession, mm. and there's. Just a couple priests? Yeah, yes. Um, it, it, it's our tradition to just have enough priests for the community. The moment we have more than, than we would normally have, we have three priests. Mm -hmm. um, um, yeah, we have three priests mm -hmm. and two deacons, which makes us a, a bit more uh, clergy-heavy than mm -hmm. is the norm, but it's, right. it's what worked out for right. us. And you are Romanian Greek Catholics... That celebrate the Byzantine liturgy. Yes. Okay. And does the Romanian part of it have its own unique liturgy, liturgical form? Or? Not really. Um, 
The music is is different. Oh, okay. it, that's usually what basically um, separates the um, the different Byzantine mm -hmm. rite churches is a different form of chant. Mm. Um, but our liturgy, our theology, our spirituality is all the same. Mm. And people that do come to you, you give talks, what do you, do they have requests? Or are you well known for speaking about spirituality or prayer or something? Um, I, I, I personally have always been the monastery cook, so I wind up in the <laughs> kitchen on these days. Um, but yeah, often they, they'll, they'll be looking for um, talks on prayer, yeah. um, spiritual life, uh, sp specifically the, the Jesus prayer, mm. um, which is a big part of our tradition in the Byzantine church. Tell us a little bit about that. I, I'm starting to pray that more myself. Um, can you tell us about some of the history and its power? I'm, I'm not very well versed in the history. Mm -hmm. um, I know that both both verses of it come from scripture um you know asking christ the the the, the blind man for example right. asking christ to have mercy right. um but it's it's a re repetitive prayer mm -hmm. that we pray over and over and over throughout the day mm. pretty much to still our minds um, and our heart, and just be in constant remembrance of, of, of in calling on Christ. Right. And maybe for those who aren't familiar, it's basically some form of Jesus, Son of Living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Yeah. So yeah, I guess it. I never thought of it, but it combines yeah, the blind man crying out, but also right the. The tax collector on the back, I would right. say, yep. Lord, have mercy on me, a <laughs> yes. sinner. And uh, so there, yeah, there's such a fullness there of you know what salvation is. You know, us crying out for uh, in faith, of you know, for forgiveness and recognizing our need for it. There's something so powerful about it. Yeah, but, it's basically yeah. the gospel sum, summed mm -hmm. up in two lines. Right. And that, so you're from New Jersey, and I wouldn't imagine other kids on your block became Romanian Greek Catholics. <laughs> <laughs> what happened there? <laughs> you know, I, I was your average run-of-the-mill Roman Catholic, mm -hmm. um, not super pious or anything like mm -hmm. that. Um, and I, your parents were devout. Mom was a regular mass goer. Dad kind of went hit, very hit or miss over the years. Yeah. Um, but I became a chef, and at one at at one point, um, I took a job as, as a chef on a yacht in Greece, and I was given permission by both the Roman Catholic bishop and the Greek Orthodox bishop to receive the sacraments in the Orthodox Church. Mm -hmm. And really, from the first divine liturgy I went to in the Orthodox Church, I knew I was home. The, just the beauty of the liturgy. Mm -hmm. I didn't understand a word of it. I didn't speak any Greek. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, the liturgy was in Greek. Mm -hmm. Didn't understand a word of it, but just the beauty of the chant mm 
mm-hmm. and the movement and the vestments and the icons really spoke to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very lucky that one of the priests assigned to that parish that I was going to spoke English. Mm-hmm. He had uh, served for a number of years in England. Um, and so he became a spiritual father to me, um, directed me uh, to uh, an Orthodox bookstore that had a whole section in English. Mm. So I was able to just, I devoured anything yeah. I could get my hands on right, any books right, at that point. Right. And was really drawn to the Byzantine um, spirituality. And again, the Jesus prayer. Um, I read at that point in time, The Way of the Pilgrim, mm-hmm. the, the classic Byzantine um, story on, on how to learn to pray. Right. Um, and when I came back to the States a year later, I was ready to convert to Orthodoxy. Hmm. Um, I had no idea that there was any such thing as um, the Byzantine Catholic Church. Hmm. And when my Roman Catholic pastor told me about that, I'm like, what? How, how did I not know about this? Hmm. Right. And, you know, here I am. 35 years later, <laughs> a monk in that church. I didn't have right. to leave the Catholic Church right. to find the same beautiful liturgy and spirituality that I found in the Orthodox Church. Right. And is that those Romanian chants, are they very different from the Gregorian chant? Very different, yes. Right. Very different. And each of, in, in, in the Byzantine churches, each of the ethnic groups, and even like amongst the Romanians, there's multiple regional variations on the mm-hmm. chant. But usually, it's it's like um, the Romanians have one. the Melkites or the Arabic uh, oh. Byzantines. They have their own chant. Um, the Russians would have their own chant, um, and that's really the main thing that separates the the, the different Byzantine churches. I didn't realize that. We all share the same liturgy and spirituality and theology. And is um, is it polyphonic the Romanian chant? The Romanian chant that's used in parishes Mm -hmm. is polyphonic, Mm -hmm. Um, whereas in the monasteries, and we follow this practice as well, it's the it's the older Byzantine style chant um, that's usually referred to as Greek chant. Okay. So it's just everybody saying the same note. That There's, again, variations. Mm. Um, usually in, in our usage, um, there, there's parts of the liturgy that are sung in common, mm. whereas you have the set notes. Mm-hmm. Um, and other parts where each of the monks will chant a, a, a section. Mm-hmm. And there you, you have more of a, they call it a tone, mm-hmm. um, but there's more variation. So each mm-hmm. monk will sing it maybe a little bit differently. Oh, Everything's wow. not set to music. Okay. And can you describe, like, because you gather, you mentioned eight times to pray every day. Um, can you describe for us maybe like, the depth or the, you know, you obviously are fed by this. You know, it doesn't get tedious or boring. (laughs) (laughs) I think it does for everyone at at certain times. But the, the, the Byzantine divine office, it it changes daily Mm. and it's full of 
theology, history, spirituality, mm-hmm. in the 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 hymns and the prayers mm-hmm. that change on a daily basis. Um, I'm often asked when I'm when I'm away from the monastery, how do I how do I pray my office? Well, monks in the East are not obligated or encouraged to even pray the, the office while we're out of the monastery because oh. it would I'd have to carry a library with me <laughs> to pray. Even just matins, you need about six books. There's not, a, there's not an app for it. <laughs> no, there's starting to be um, yeah. some right. that that, but. Um, our tradition is to pray the Jesus prayer um, okay. while w- when we're away from the monastery. Um, so, is there like a number of times? That, that tells there are there, some traditions that do. Yeah. So, yes, we'll yeah. set a, a certain uh, yeah. number of times. The tradition that we follow is, you know, vespers usually last about forty-five minutes. So we'll sit down and pray mm. the Jesus prayer for forty-five minutes. Uh-huh. And do that for each of the services, uh-huh. or as as many of the services we can while we're away. Well, maybe tell us a little bit more about that effect on you. To say, I know in our very distracted world, <laughs> I mean it's hard. I mean I've done that many times. Where I say I'm, I'm in bed, I'm going to go to sleep. I'll just start saying this prayer. Yeah, I might hit like six, seven, eight. <laughs> it's like my mind somewhere else. Yes. But it's like how. I think that that's common. I think that happens yeah. to everyone. And the, yeah. the the important thing is when you realize you know, my mind mm-hmm. is just come back to it. Mm-hmm. And I think the more you do that, the easier it becomes. Yeah. So maybe it develops that muscle of focus. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That must be. That must bleed over into other parts of your life to be able to focus and things. <laughs> and it, yeah. it it does, and yeah. it it. Get, you get to the point where no matter what you're doing, the prayer is praying. Mm. You're not even thinking about it. Uh-huh. The, the 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 words that the fathers use is the prayer is praying itself mm. in the back of your mind, or or often they'll, they'll say in your heart. Mm. Yeah, and that's one of the things that drew you was the that Eastern theology. What were some of the elements that really attracted you? The main thing for me was the the, the liturgy. Mm-hmm. Um, for that year that I was um, living in Greece, it was the days before internet and whatnot. And so I would, um, you know, on my day off, I'd go out sightseeing and take lots of pictures, and mm-hmm. I have the pictures developed, and I. I mail them home. Mm-hmm. It got to the point, my mother called me one day, she says, if you send me one more picture of a Byzantine monastery, I'm going to go nuts. <laughs> she says, isn't there anything else in Greece? Uh-huh. Says, well, that's what I want to see. <laughs> just visiting the, uh-huh. and, and experiencing the liturgy in these different places and whatnot, I think is what really drew me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I found it really um, moving to me um you know in, in the in the eastern churches we, we um we give the eucharist to, to to kids right from baptism on and i found that very moving mm-hmm. for some reason and just often in, in the greek churches yeah. it's only the children who receive communion mm-hmm. you don't see a large yeah, movement of yeah. adults and i just found that very beautiful mm-hmm. that you know here's these kids really 
you know, the ones without sin, right. and they're at the chalice every week. Right, right. And, and that was very yeah. moving for me. And you think just the image of feeding your ch I mean, it's like it makes it very concrete, like the parents have that duty to form and, you know, the kids with, you know, morality, raise them in the faith, teach them the faith, and, uh, and at the Eucharist, you're feeding them very concretely. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, I remember we had a professor in seminary. He would. I remember he. That was his opinion that he should. Have, we should have kept the sacrament, like confirmation, Eucharist, all together, because he. I remember him. He would stress the point about. I think it's the Catechism. It talks about how the sacraments make the church. Exactly. You know, it's like yeah, you have to approach them with faith, but it's like. I guess in terms of a child that young, based on the faith of the parents, they're approaching, but it's still, it seems like it brings that point home that these sacraments have a real effect in us and changing us, incorporating us into the body of Christ. Exactly. That's beautiful. I know, I, I love some of the uh, Russian chants of, I, I stumbled across um, Rachmaninoff's Vespers and oh, stuff. Oh, beautiful, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if, how you know how much he added to or whatever <laughs> but he it was based right on old slavonic or yes something. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it was um from what i understand it was always meant as a showpiece it was never meant to be sung in church mm. although nowadays you'll often find it used in church yeah um yeah i saw it, it was used in some movie um it was, I can't remember, but it was so beautiful that it was, they had a choir singing like the Hail Mary in that this setting to it. And uh, and I remember it just kind of was so striking. But yeah, I, I just thought, you know, the voice is the premier instrument. And then, you know, music is just so spiritual. You talk about the human voice. Yeah. It's like, that is like really powerful stuff. And uh so there's that richness. Now, now you studied uh, to be a chef, and I would, you know, that, that I don't know. It just is kind of. I always think of like you know New Jersey, New York as being very practical, very minded people. Cooking is very real world. A lot of pressure. You know, they burn out and they're overworked. Yep, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> that's the life I, I came from. <laughs> <laughs> it just doesn't from that to yeah the peace and quiet of a monastery <laughs> yeah and over 30 years yeah monastery. now you what do you see like maybe people come to make retreat at your monastery and things and whatever i don't know what degree of interaction you have with the world but what do you see like what the world needs from this. So what, what can the world, what can the average Catholic learn from your experience? I think it's, it, it's important for the average Catholic to, mm -hmm. to take that step away mm -hmm. from the world every once in a while and just rejuvenate mm -hmm. their own soul, their own prayer life. Right. Um, and I think that's one of the biggest things that Holy Resurrection Monastery has to offer. Mm -hmm. um, when Father Nicholas, our former abbot, and Father Maximus and myself um, were, the th were the three founders of the monastery, we, we decided to 
take that path. We wanted to be a people's monastery. We wanted to be open to the public mm -hmm. because we felt that Byzantine monasticism and liturgy and whatnot had something to offer mm -hmm. to your average Catholic. Um, one of the secondary charisms of our monastery is to show Roman Catholics that we can be fully Byzantine yet fully Catholic mm -hmm. and to show the Orthodox that yes, we can be fully Orthodox mm -hmm. with, with our liturgy and our mm -hmm. spirituality and our theology and yet be in communion with Rome. Mm -hmm. And that, 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 that's really been a big part of who we are and um, I think why people come to us. Yeah. Um, even when we were, before we moved to Wisconsin, we were in the middle of the Mojave Desert. Um, people would come from all over the world mm. to visit us. Mm. And even more so now that we have more accommodations and, mm. and more centrally located. Mm. <laughs> you were in California? We started out in a little town in the Mojave Desert called oh. um, uh, Newbury Springs. Huh. And we wound up there because the conventional Franciscans had a property there that they wanted to get rid of. Mm. And they gave it to us when we were getting started. Mm. So that's why we wound up there. Oh, wow. um, but it was not a good place for us to grow. Yeah. Um, it was like the 130 degree exactly. weather. Exactly. <laughs> Most of the year it was over 115. <laughs> if it wasn't hot, then we had 70 or 80, 70 or 80 mile an hour winds <laughs> and sand everywhere. Uh -huh. So, and because we sat on the top of a fault line, there were constant tremors. <laughs> so the windows didn't close properly, the doors didn't. So the wind would blow and everything would be covered with sand. It was, wow. oh, it was miserable. How did the Franciscans, why did they come there? <laughs> the, they had a high school a couple hours away. Okay. And the principal of the high school had this vision of starting an artist colony out in the desert. Oh. And at, at one, you know, he had built it and had, but no one else in the province had any interest in it. Mm. And the province split and he was called back to Chicago. Mm. So at that point, it, it was, yeah. it, they had no use for it. Right. So. So how did, I mean, you, like water was always short, it was the shortest of water. We, we were constantly redigging our well. <laughs> <laughs> well you had a well though. Right? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I guess we've kind of jumped over that part of your own personal story. You were drawn uh, to the Byzantine Rite and things. And did you join up another community at first? Or? When I came back from Greece, mm -hmm. I opened my own catering business and ran that for about five years. I did very well with that. Um, but the idea of monasticism kept coming back and, mm. kept, and I, I couldn't get away from it. Mm. Um, at the time, there was, a, there was, for Byzantine Catholic monasticism, there was only one other monastery in the English-speaking world, mm. and that was in Northern California. And I went there with the intention of joining. Um, unfortunately, at the time that I went there, their abbot had Alzheimer's, mm. and the community didn't want to admit that he had Alzheimer's. Yeah. And it was a, just a very bad time for right. the community. Right. Right. So I lasted a year mm -hmm. and left. But while I was there, I met 
uh, Father Nicholas, our former abbot, and Father Maximus, who had come from Australia, mm. their intention was to get formation there and go back to Australia and start a Byzantine monastery. Mm. Um, again, neither of them lasted the time to get the formation, but and and they decided to stay in America because there was more um, more opportunity in the mm. Byzantine Catholic world. The church in Australia at that point in time was still much more ethnic mm. and there was no, no um, praying in English. Mm. So if it was either Arabic or um, Ukrainian mm. and they didn't want. So they stayed in, in America and the three of us kept in touch and um, we decided let's see if we can get a bishop who would be willing to um, back us to start Mm -hmm. our own monastery and, and long story short that's what happened um mm -hmm. so the three of us have been together now for almost thir 30 years wow. um, but yeah we went through the process of founding the monastery and getting formation as much as we could and you know bits here and bits there yeah. um th th thanks be to god the the franciscans took care of us with giving us a property to uh get founded mm -hmm. but we, because the project was, um, it came out, um, St. John Paul II's um, encyclical Orientale Lumen came out mm -hmm. at that, at that same time that we were getting founded. Mm -hmm. um, so there was, there was a lot of interest in the Eastern Church at that point in time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we, we had a follow, had a following worldwide. We had, um, men come and try their vocation from all over the world with us. Really? Oh. Um, other Australians, mm. um, a, a guy from uh, Taiwan, the Philippines. Mm. Most of them didn't last. Yeah. Um, but That's hard to bring those cultures. Exactly. <laughs> to, I never to bring them into America. Yeah. And, yeah. And, but uh, did you say you, there's, the chance you're praying them in Romanian? No, we pray in English. In English. Okay. Okay. We use a little bit of Arabic here and there, mm. a little bit of Greek, a little mm. bit of Romanian. Okay. But yeah, just kind of for, for flavor. <laughs> but yeah. no, we, we pray in English. And it, it's hard to found a, a new monastery, especially if you're starting from ground zero. What are some lessons you've learned? than that <laughs> you don't have to be specifics but just maybe <laughs> general principles of because for I, me so, the biggest was learning patience uh, nothing happens quickly in the church mm -hmm. um and part of what we as a community wanted to do we wanted to be as authentically orthodox mm -hmm. as we could while being fully Catholic in communion with um, with the Pope, mm -hmm. and and we say Orthodox as you can, you mean taking traditions from the Orthodox branch? Or? Yes, because okay. the Orthodox mm -hmm. are historically part of the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. You know, there was a split, and mm -hmm. there's still debate now: are they Catholic? Right, you know, is, right. is the schism within the church right. or have they left the church? Right. Um, at the moment, it looks like 
the uh, the idea of the schism within the church is because we recognize all of their sacraments and their mm-hmm. their you know apostolic succession and mm-hmm. all of that. So um, you really can't have that outside the church. Right, right, <laughs> so, right, but so right. yes, we want to be fully. Um, the big thing for us was we want to be fully liturgically orthodox and. The Greek Catholic churches at that point in time, in the in the early '90s, were still very Latinized. Mm-hmm. The, the, in order to prove that they were Catholic, they often took on Roman Catholic devotions, um, and just a, a different mindset. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to recapture, and we wanted to move very fast with that, mm-hmm. but but. The church wasn't quite ready, so yeah. it took a long time for us to be able to fully implement that. And I think that le- learning patience for yeah. me was, yeah. was what came out of that. And what were some sources that really helped you to be formed and to learn that tradition? What we did was we model ourselves after in Orthodox monastery, Orthodox monasteries mm-hmm. of our size in America, praying in English. Mm-hmm. And what we did was, you know, we would visit mm-hmm. these monasteries and become friends with them mm-hmm. and uh, learn from them. Um, about 15 miles from our monastery in California was a Coptic Orthodox monastery, oh. the Egyptian Orthodox. Mm-hmm. Um, who were doing the same thing. They, they had founded from a very rich monastic tradition in Egypt. They were trying to start a monastery in America for their American-born. Um, so we had a lot in common with them. And mm-hmm. for years and years, you know, we would just get together and commiserate and mm-hmm. uh, you know, learn from each other. Mm-hmm. And um, they would come and celebrate our big feast days with us, and we would mm-hmm. do the same with them. And um, so a big part of our formation was just spending time with other monks mm-hmm. from our tradition, even though they weren't part of the Catholic communion. Right. And they were very open to you? Open? Usually, yeah. you know, there, there was, a, at first, some standoffish. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Most of the monasteries became very, very open to us mm. and friendly. And... Oh, wow. And, yeah, I'm still just imagining, too, like the running a catering business five years in New Jersey. <laughs> 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 and then going to a life of deep prayer and things and liturgically. Yeah. yeah. Um, but so, like, you had people from all over the world coming, maybe discerning vocations, and then coming to make retreats and and I guess we kind of talked about this but they you think they were drawn by the rhythms of your prayer and definitely definitely I I, people tell me that over and over and over again it's the rhythm of the prayer life yeah and that we take it seriously and it's it's really who we are as monks is the prayer life and we were for a while there for a number of years I don't know, five years or something, we were making our community retreat up with the Benedictines in Cullman. Mm-hmm. And they have a beautiful church made of these great big blocks of sands, sandstone. And I find it very beautiful. It just seems very monastic. And 
Yeah, we joined them sometimes for their vespers and things. And it, there was such a stability to it. You know, it was um, you know, just their chanting of the office, you know, it takes time. And it just, it forces you to slow down. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> it makes you to slow yes. down and not run to the next thing, the next distraction, <laughs> the next dopamine hit from whatever. Exactly. <laughs> and I'll, I feel that when I'm away from the monastery. I yeah. just physically miss that. Yeah. Yeah. And now you've recently made a, a sabbatical and you walked from, you said, London to Rome? Yes. Is that right? And uh, what was that like? What were some of the most powerful experiences for you in doing that? You were by yourself? Or? Uh, I, I started out with a friend with the intention of walking the whole way. And um, he had some personal um, uh, things that he needed to deal with that came up about two weeks into the pilgrimage. Right. So he left. Right. So I spent the next couple of weeks by myself mm -hmm. um, until I met this young uh, couple from uh, from the UK, mm. and we were walking at about the same pace, mm. same distance every day. So we kind of um, teamed up. They were headed to Rome. Yep, they were headed to wow. Rome as well. Yep. Oh. the 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 route that I was on is called the Via Francigena, and it's it's a pil been a pilgrimage route since the nine hundreds. Oh. Um, it officially starts in Canterbury. Um, but I wanted to see a bit more of the countryside mm -hmm. and the cathedrals mm -hmm. in England. So I started in, uh, in London. Mm -hmm. Started in, at Westminster Abbey. Mm -hmm. um, most people don't realize that Westminster Abbey, when it was Catholic, was dedicated to St. Peter. Ah. So I started at St. Peter's, walked into St. <laughs> Peter's. <laughs> right. And we, we started on the Feast of St. Peter and Paul, the 29th of June. Okay. So just... The whole, um, whole you, pe Petrine theme. Yeah, and you would you stay at churches and monasteries? It's churches, monasteries, hostels, mm. pubs, hotels, wherever, whatever was available. Um, France was kind of rough. They don't. They, there was not much infrastructure for pilgrims. Mm. Hostels here and there. Yeah. Um, but once we hit Switzerland, the, the Augustinians have maintained hostels for pilgrims um, throughout the Alps, mm. um, again, for about a thousand years. Mm. Um, and then once we hit Italy, it was monasteries, parishes, um, and they were, hostels all run by the church. They were pretty inviting. and uh, Very much so. Really? Yep. Wow. yep. And... Uh, so what was it like to finally pull into Rome there? <laughs> <laughs> it, it was kind of bittersweet. It was, it was nice to, to finally hit the, um, the destination. Uh -huh. um, but it was kind of, I, I think, sad to, to, to give up the routine that I was <laughs> yeah. enjoying at that, at, yeah. by that point. Um, yeah. You didn't get tired of it. No. You didn't miss no. the eight-hour chanting. <laughs> I, I, like I said, usually two weeks out of the monastery, and I'm stir-crazy to get back in. Mm. But on the, the, on the, the walking pilgrimages I have done, I'm able to set my pace and my prayer life 
to something that it's not the same, but to me, it's it's just as good. Mm. Um, you know, having eight hours of undistracted walking to be able to pray the Jesus prayer. Mm. It, it's it's different than being at home with with the, the the cycle of services, but for me it was just another way to 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 deepen my my relationship mm-hmm. with Christ, um, and it's it's worked very well for me um, on the three pilgrimages I've done so far. Mm-hmm. Like the couple you were with, you spent you talked to them a lot, or was it? They walked at a a, a bit quicker mm-hmm. than I did. So we would start out in the morning together. We'd have breakfast, we'd start out, and we might walk together for half an hour and, and they would mm. move on. So we would usually stop and have lunch together and then the same thing in the afternoon. So I had most of the day by myself. Mm. Um, so it, it was a nice balance of having, you know, camaraderie. Mm-hmm. as well as having the time for the deep contemplation and prayer. Yeah. yeah. Just in general, so you've made three pilgrimage, three or four pilgrimages? Three so far. Three, four. There's yeah. one last one I, I hope to do, mm-hmm. <laughs> God willing, when, when I retire. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, canon law requires an abbot to, to step down at the age of 75. Okay. So I, I would like to if I'm still healthy enough and whatnot, I would like to walk from Portugal to Jerusalem, hitting uh, Santiago de Compostela along the way and hitting Rome, mm. which were the three medieval pilgrimage destinations, mm. Santiago, Rome, and Jerusalem. Mm. So I would like, I, I've been, I, I've walked to both Rome and Santiago already. Yeah. So I'd like to walk to Jerusalem, hitting the other two all along the way. Would you have to go through Syria? <laughs> yes. So people walking that pilgrimage route at the moment um, are either taking a boat around or uh, flying over. Okay. Um, but I've got 17 years, so I'm hoping things in Syria are in, 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 in <laughs> much right. better shape by then. Right. And maybe, some, what would you say to someone listening to this um, about making a pillar? What are the effects for you, or just in general, like effects of why is this has such a great tradition, you know, in Christianity to do this walking pilgrimage? For me, it, it, it's it's all about the prayer and the camaraderie. The, mm-hmm. the the not so much on the route to to Rome. There were very few pilgrims, but especially on the Camino. Mm-hmm. in Spain, just meeting people from all over the world, walking to the same place, not always for, for the same reason, mm-hmm. um, but being touched by um, by God in different ways. Um, even, you know, I, I, I walked on, on that on and off um, with a guy who was... Um, deeply wounded by the church in Ireland and he would not step foot in a church mm. he would not but he was walking the Camino mm. and by the time we got to Santiago he had gone to confession and was back in the church wow. so mm. 
I, I encourage anyone, for whatever reason, to go walk a pilgrimage, yeah. and you will be changed. Right, right. There's something, well, you know, even, I, I discovered this during COVID, really. You know, I think a lot of us were stressed out during COVID. You know, I was worried about the community getting sick and our mm -hmm. obligations and all that stuff. So I started walking more, and um, and I read somewhere, it was actually in, I think it was like in Hyde Park in London, <laughs> this, uh, this, this therapist, counselor lady, uh, discovered when she would walk in the park, how it would lower her anxiety yeah. and stuff. And they traced it to like EMDR work, you know, where they, that alternating, they can do it with lights or mm -hmm. vibrations or something in your hands or something. And, and it has a way of settling us and um, getting maybe through intense emotions or stuff. And But, you know, so I, I guess in, in walking naturally does that. You know, you're doing left, right, left, right. So exactly. It stimulates both sides here, yep. both hemispheres. And it, uh, it's got this real psychological brain effect or whatever. But um, so I, I would imagine, yeah, that God uses that in a powerful way to... To get us out of the world, maybe, or mm -hmm. the hectic pace, or the trauma in that guy's yeah. case, you know. <laughs> and what's what's nice, we're we're located in um, in Wisconsin. Is we're right along this new pilgrimage route that's mm -hmm. started up here in America called the Wisconsin Way, mm -hmm. and um, we're able to host pilgrims, mm -hmm. um, and that pilgr pilgrimage route walks between. There's three big Marian shrines. In Wisconsin and it hits the three of them mm -hmm. and um, our monastery's patron is Our Lady Searcher for the Lost mm. so it, it, our, our chapel is not near as, as, as big or well-known right. um, as the other three right. but it's become according to, to pilgrims who have walked the route one of the one of the highlights of their pilgrimage yeah so and it seems like strikes me like your spirituality is like very much in the present moment. Is that true? Like the Jesus prayer would think in walking has a way of like getting us very much in the present. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, and I, I think that is such a. I mean, Mother Angelica talked about the present moment a lot. It was a big part of her. But I think too is as the culture gets more hectic, and you even see like the secular kind of push for meditation. Mm-hmm. You know, to kind of center ourselves or uh, just get into reality, you know. I think we've got so many screens going, live in such a virtual world and so many distractions. We're just not in the present moment, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So. And this is, it, it's a way to bring us into the, the present. Yeah. Well, Abbot Moses, thank you so much for chatting with us. Well, and, uh, thank you for having me. It's experience. been a pleasure.